My name is uh, Tim Bueller. I'm reading from Matthew chapter 7. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Thanks, Tim. Well, good morning. It's really good to be with you. Thank you to Tim for reading scripture, for the worship team for leading us. Uh, so excited for the baptisms this morning. That's what we're doing this for, is to see God change people's lives. And so I'm glad you're here. My name is David, I'm one of the pastors, and we are in a teaching series, if you're just joining us, called This or That. It's a series about the kingdom of God and what does it look like to be someone who longs to see the rule of God and the reality of heaven come to earth in greater ways. And to be someone who has committed themselves and their lives to Jesus and to living in his way. It's about the kingdom of God and what does it look like to be a person of the kingdom. That's what this series is about. And so each week we are opening up the Bible, we are listening to a teaching from Jesus, and we are letting him tell us what does it look like to be a person of the kingdom? What does it look like for us to be a community that beats with the heartbeat of Jesus for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven? And so today, that's what we're digging into again. As Tim said, uh, we're gonna be in Matthew chapter seven, verse 24 to 27. So if you have a Bible, grab it. I'm gonna pray. And then we're gonna jump into this. Jesus, we exalt you as the holy beautiful, awesome God that you are. And in this moment, what we want is for you to be front and center. We want you to reveal yourself to us. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, in this time, you would show us the beauty and wonder of who Jesus is, that you would open our ears to hear his voice as we let his teaching meet us and form us, and would all that happens in this moment be unto the glory of your name, Father, Son, and Spirit, and would it be unto the formation of this community into kingdom people. We give this time to you, Father, Son, and Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So most of this series, we've been in what's called the Gospel of Matthew. It's one of the stories about the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. And from the very start of Matthew, he's been orienting us to this reality that a new day has dawned in history with the arrival of Jesus on earth. 
that the rule of God and the reality of heaven has come near in the person of Jesus and can be experienced by anybody who wants to experience it. It's available to all people. And as the story goes on, starting in chapter one and all the way to our text, what we've seen is Jesus has been going around and he's been teaching with authority, authority that nobody before had presented or had and it was blowing people's mind. Not only that, he was casting out demons, he was healing people of sickness, he was revolutionizing people's lives by spending time with people that nobody else spent time for. Like Jesus was launching this kingdom movement that we are still feeling the effects of today. And all of this has been done up to this point to reveal the king to us and his kingdom. And so when we come to our passage today that Tim read, Jesus has put on his teacher hat. He's in teacher mode. He's taken off the healing and the the exorcism of demons hat and the, the fun feasting Jesus who sits at tables with tax collectors and sinners. And he's teaching us and he's been teaching for two chapters to this group of people who have gathered on this hill to hear him talk about what the kingdom of heaven is all about and what does it mean for those who are listening? What does it mean for us now that it's here? And one of the things that Jesus did all the time when he would teach is that he would take something that people could relate to from their everyday life and he would use it to point to a spiritual truth about God, about faith, about how to relate to God, about what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. That's what he's doing in Matthew 7 in our passage today as he tells a story about two people. One is wise and one is foolish and both of them build on a foundation with different results when a storm hits. And at first glance, it's a pretty straightforward story. Pretty pretty clear what Jesus is up to here but what he's doing is is he tells this story that's pretty straightforward. He's, he's, He's asking a question and he's putting this question before us today. If you're gonna build a house Which is the stronger foundation to build on, sand or stone? And of course, the choice is obvious. I mean, you don't have to be a builder or a contractor or an engineer to answer this question. It's wiser to build on rock than it is to build on sand, right? That you know just by experience or or as you drive around town and you see how deep they have to uh, drill down into the ground to build a foundation to put up an apartment building or something that It's wiser if you're going to build something like a house to build it on stone, not on sand. Why? Because it gives you a firm foundation on which to build the rest of the house on. It's just obvious and it's wise. It's better to have a strong foundation than a shaky one, right? Especially, Jesus says, when storms come. Especially when storms come. See, Jesus doesn't hide the fact that storms are going to come. That there are going to be moments in our lives where hardships are going to come, where the road gets bumpy and difficult, where we feel like we're in the valley and all we want to do is be on the mountaintop. There are moments in our lives where storms are going to come. And we're not just talking about nice, gentle storms where you sit on your patio at night, sipping a cup of your chai latte, going, man, it's beautiful. I love storms. Jesus is talking about a violent storm, like a violent storm. The picture that he's painting in the Greek is of torrential rain heavy flooding, powerful winds that crash and beat against these two houses. It's the kind of storm that has enough strength to make a house fall if the foundation isn't right. 
It's the kind of storm that Jesus is talking about, and he is clear, storms will come. It's only a matter of time. It's true for nature, it's true for human lives. And that makes the foundation that you build on really important. Because we see in this story, the house that is built on the stone, the house that's built on the rock, it withstands the storm, but the house that's built on stone doesn't. And on the surface, that's what this story is about. It's about two people, two foundations, and what happens when a storm comes and hits their house. But by now, you've probably figured out Jesus isn't really talking about a storm. He's talking about your life. He's talking about my life and what we choose to build our lives upon. And so this story about a house, two houses, and two people who build a house points us to a spiritual truth that goes like this. Kingdom people start with the right foundation and then they build from there. Kingdom people, the kind of people that we want to be, the kind of community as a church that we want to be, start with the right foundation and then build from there. And we get there by noticing what's the main difference? What's the main difference between the wise person and the foolish person in this story? It's the foundation they build on. Sand or stone, it's the foundation that makes the biggest difference when the storm hits. Which means this, Jesus is concerned about what you're building your life on. He is concerned about the foundation that you are building your life on because the foundation we build our lives on is deeply connected to your level of resilience. I love that word, resilience. Now I've become convinced over the last few years that one of the traits that we need to be formed in us in our discipleship to Jesus is resilience. That capacity to withstand and adapt to difficult or challenging life experiences. The power to hold fast when storms come and to bounce back after we're being bent or compressed or stretched. That's resilience. And in the moment we live in, in the historical and cultural moment that we live in, this might be one of the most important traits that we need as followers of Jesus to be formed in us. Because think about it. When you get a diagnosis that changes everything, what do you need? You need faith, right? Yes, absolutely. You need Jesus, yes, but you need resilience to make it through. Or what happens when you're made fun of for what you believe or, or you look at something like pornography and you swore you would never do it again, but you do it, and then shame just threatens to crush you once again. We need resilience in those moments. Or what about when God seems distant or life doesn't make any sense or when we're brought into a space where we don't have a sense of what's known or certain and we have to trust God there? What about staying the course with Jesus even when it's costly, even when it's hard, even when it's painful, even when it's stretching? What about making it to the end of this life to hear the words from the Father, well done, good and faithful servant? What do you need? Resilience the capacity to stand up under the experiences of life and continue on. And notice, Jesus connects our resilience to the foundation that you have. So your resilience is connected to what you are building your life on. And so when we come to the word therefore in our passage, it's important to see that this is a tipping point in the story of Jesus in Matthew. It's a decision moment where Jesus is inviting everyone who has listened to him, who has followed him up to this point, who has witnessed what he has been doing, to make a decision 
and take a next step. And that next step is, what are you going to build your life on? So a few years ago, there's this uh, show that came out on one of the streaming services. It was called Messiah, and it, was, it centered around this charismatic, mysterious guy who launched a spiritual movement that kind of caught the attention of the world. It's not a true story, but it does have this like Jesus-type vibe that made it interesting, and so I stuck with it and I watched it. And my favorite scene in that story was this scene, it was in a classroom at a college, and it was just filled with young people. And each of these young people were wrestling with this reality of what was going on in the world. And the professor had his, came to class and he had his, you know, his lecture plan all planned out. And, and he said, no, throw that out. He's like, let's process what's going on because obviously you're not going to pay attention. And so he, they start processing it. And some of the students, they were, they were angry. They were outraged. Some were confused. Some were just silent. There's just all these emotions and all this tension in the room. And then one student puts up her hand and she says, ask this provocative question, like, what if he's real? Like, what if, what, what if this guy is actually the real deal? Like, if he is the real deal, does that mean we just drop everything and we start worshiping him? It was such a profound question because you could feel this longing in her for him to be real, but she was wrestling with the reality of what that would mean for her life if it was really true that he was real and he was who he was showing the world to be. And what was frustrating is that the show never answers the question. You watch the whole show and you're just waiting for them to tell you the answer to the question and they, they don't give it to you. And so you get to the end and you're like, come on. But I think the filmmakers did that on purpose is they want you to answer the question for yourself. What would you do? What would you do if someone showed up on the scene and was doing the kind of things that Jesus did or this man did and was saying the kind of things that he said what would you do if he was really real? See, I think Matthew is putting us in the same position as the filmmakers of this show where he is forcing you and I, the people listening to him on this hill, to consider who Jesus is, who he says he is, and if what he's doing in the world and saying is happening is really happening. This story is actually, in the story of Matthew, is a take stock of everything you've seen and heard and experienced in Jesus and make a decision. Where do I want to build? This foundation or that one? Young people, I want to talk to you for a sec. You need to take this question very, very seriously. So you are in one of the most exciting times of your life where the world is just opening up to you. Maybe you're graduating high school. Maybe you're going off to college. Maybe you're in college right now. Maybe you're about to graduate from college, but the world is open up to you. And you have so many different ways that you can go. And it would be very easy for you to just kind of go through the motions and not consider the foundation that you're building your life on. The foundation that you lay today that will carry you through some of the most exciting and difficult times of your life. This generation has taken a beating. And I just wanna say to you, don't waste your life. Don't waste your life, young people, on building it on something or someone that will not carry you through the ups and downs of life because they're gonna come if they haven't done it already. I try to do that. And I'm telling you from experience, don't waste your life trying to build on something that's gonna get shaked and toss, tossed around. Build your something, life on something that's firm. 
that's sure, that can be, is tried and tested and true. I tried it the other way. It's not worth it. So young people, take this question very seriously. And everyone else in this room, you need to take it seriously too. Where do you want to build? Where are you building your life, on sand or stone? Let's go back to the text and see what this looks like, starting with the wise person who builds on stone. Verse 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. So the wise person in the story is the person who digs down deep below the surface to get to where the stone and the rock is. If it takes five feet of digging, they do it. If it takes 10 feet of digging, they do it because the wise person knows that if you want to build something that will stand, you need to go until you hit the rock, which is a good thing that this guy does it because, as I already said, storm comes. His house doesn't fall, though because he built it on the rock. He took the time to reallocate his energy and his attention. He said no to certain things in order to make sure that he had the right foundation so that when the storm came, his house could stand. And I love this fascinating word in the Greek for rock. It's called petra. You know what it means? It's not a little tiny rock we're talking about. We're talking about an immovable mass of rock. That's what petra means. It's a huge rock that is a sure foundation. And so the picture that Jesus is painting is of this massive rock that is dug down to and it's immovable and an unshakable foundation for that house. But the other house, well, it it gets pummeled by the same storm. The same heavy winds, rain and flooding just like the first house, but because of its sandy foundation, verse 27, Jesus says, the rains came The streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. And what happened? It fell with a great crash. Both houses experienced the same storm, but with different results. One withstands the storm and continues on, and the other one falls apart and is ripped apart and ruined because it was built on a shaky foundation. The foundation is the difference maker. And the wise person builds a resilient, storm-proof life on the stone, but the foolish person builds their life on something that seems strong, but really isn't. That's the difference. See, if you were sitting here listening to Jesus, then you would be able to connect the dots of what he's trying to say here. Because in this part of the world, it gets really, really hot in the summer. And if you go around the bodies of water there, the sand in the summer months gets packed really hard as it gets beaten by the sun. And it actually becomes like this hard clay. And so from a first glance, with your eyes, you look at this and he's like, that looks like it's strong. And what people would do is they'd actually build their house on that, making the assumption that it was a firm foundation. They didn't dig underneath the surface like the wise person. And and what would happen? Well, the winter would come and that's when the rains would come. And when the rains came, then it would make that hard clay become soft and the sand would shift and what was inevitable happened. Houses would collapse. And so the people sitting there would would know this because they'd likely know in someone that this had happened to. And they'd be able to see the dots that Jesus was connecting and understand what he was trying to teach them. That it's unwise to build your life on something that seems strong but really isn't. 
And I think this is where the rubber really meets the road. This is where it gets taken from theory right into our lives, into our worlds, and into our decisions because Jesus knows that your life and my life can get organized around things and built on many different things. Like your relationship status. It can get built on that. Or being a good parent, or food, or pleasure, or maybe it's your career. Your whole life is built on advancing in your job as quickly as possible to get the title and the position and the authority, and all you want to do is be better than your other coworkers. You could build your life on that. Or what about being the one who works really, really hard and never takes a break and actually sees that as a badge of honor rather than disobedience to the call of Jesus to rest? What about someone who thinks that being strong and showing no weakness is a good thing? Build your life on that, or or health and wellness. Like I'm the person who goes hiking every day and I exercise every day, and those are really good things, but your life is built on your physical wellness, which will deteriorate one day, and it's a very faulty foundation. Or what about sex or power or being noticed for what you do. See, the list is endless, but the point is the same, is that there are many things that can seem strong enough to build your life on, but when push comes to shove and the storm hits, they really aren't that strong at all. And most of the time, we only find this out when a storm hits our life. Often, it's a storm that hits our life that reveals the foundation we're building on. So last year, we experienced some sickness in our house, which is not abnormal for parents and families with young kids. I mean, anyone gets a cold in Abbotsford, my kids will eventually get it, right? Parents are like, amen, geez. You go two weeks without being sick and it's like victory, Jesus, the, the, the cross and resurrection is real. It's a big deal, right? So sickness we get, but going to the ER kind of sickness we don't get. It's scary to be a parent and be confronted by the fact that you have no control of your children's well-being. To sit there and hold your child and go, I want to fix this. I want him to be better, but I can't do it. I've prayed, nothing's happening. Like, oh my gosh, like I have no control in this moment. It's a scary thing. And we were fine, we made it through, everyone was okay, but I realized something in the aftermath is that I feel safe when I feel in control. I feel safe when I feel in control. Like the, the storm in that moment actually exposed the foundation that was faulty that I was, I was building on. Like I was building parts of my life on this foundation that were control-based. That if everything was just in the right space and everyone was okay, then, oh man, I feel at peace and I feel safe. But it was a faulty foundation because control, which I already knew but God revealed to me again, is an illusion. We don't have it. It's a faulty foundation that the storm revealed to me again. And that's the thing about storms is they reveal true and faulty foundations. They do. And the inescapable reality is that every one of us is building our lives on something and it may not be Jesus. So a good way to find out is to ask, like, what is my life rising and falling on? And when a storm hits my life, how do, what happens? How do I respond? Those are two great questions to ask to start poking into the faulty foundations that you might have. See, whatever your life rises and falls on, 
is an indicator of what you're looking to for significance and hope and meaning. So if you, you have it and everything is going well, you're feeling good, you're feeling safe, you're feeling secure, but the moment you lose it or it's taken away from you, your life starts to fall apart. You, you just, it rises and falls on whatever that thing is. And then when storms hit, they reveal what you're trusting in to give you life and to keep you safe. So we need to investigate what our foundations truly are. Because as you said already, Jesus says, expect the storms to come. If they haven't hit, they will. It's just a matter of time. So get ahead of the game. Examine your foundation. Because when the storms hit, it will reveal the kind of foundation you really have. And see, Jesus is making the point here that if you or I are building on anything or anyone other than him and his teaching, you're building on something that seems strong but really isn't. In fact, you're building your life on a house of cards. So we have to investigate the foundations and we need to make sure that we are building on the one who is greater than any storm you face. Because when you, when you realize that the rock Jesus is talking about is him, it changes things. Jesus is the immovable rock and the sure foundation in this story. He is the strong foundation that we must build on if we want to have an increasingly resilient and storm-proof life. Nothing else in the whole world has the staying power of Jesus. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the firm foundation. Even the best things in life won't stand up under the storm because they were never created to. So kingdom principle number one today is Jesus is the foundation you must build your life on if you want a resilient life. But there's more. And this is something I missed for years. Like I've read this story so many times, but I missed some things here. In one breath, Jesus is focused on the foundation. He is saying that the foundation of your life is central and essential to having a storm-proof life but he's also inviting anyone who hears these words to decide between two ways of relating to God and living and being in the world. And this is what I missed for so long. That in context, Jesus is calling the people who are hearing him to shift their focus away from the current religious practice of the day tied to temple and Torah to him. See, in Jesus' day, the temple was the physical place where God's people went to worship. That's how they encountered God. They would offer sacrifices. They would worship God there. That's how they would be made right with God and have atonement for their sins. Like, the temple was the physical space you went to, and the Torah were the Jewish scriptures. They were like the Old Testament scriptures to us. They were like, they, the place that they followed and they learned and they read and they, they in, like tried to put it into practice. These were the two pillars of the Jewish faith. And if you wanted to interact with God and live in the world as one of his people, this is how you did it, temple and Torah. But as we've seen, God is doing something new in the world and it's centered on the person of Jesus. Things were changing and what Jesus is doing is he's saying the thing that you've built your life on that have guided your practice of faith and how to live in the world for centuries is being relocated in me. Things are changing. And you're invited to be a part of it. You're invited to build your life on a new foundation in the new thing that God is doing in the world. So reconsider how you're building your life and how you're practicing your faith. And so he's calling people away from one way of living in the world to a new way that orbited around him. Him. 
And Jesus, in this passage, then he, what he's doing is he's putting two options on the table. He says, build your life on the foundation I'm offering you, or build your life on this current way of living or something or someone else. And this conversation had deep roots in the Jewish community. Like they would know that, that there was something more to Jesus' teaching here. See, scholars think that what Jesus is doing is he's actually reinterpreting a story from a, from a prophet who had lived hundreds of years before named Isaiah. And, and, and what they think is that there's this situation that was happening was that this Assyria was this superpower and they were, they were coming to conquer Israel and they were conquering every nation and every people on their path. And so with this nation coming at them, what Israel's leadership decided to do is they decided, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna talk to Egypt. They've got a pretty, pretty strong army. And we're gonna say, hey, can you save us and fight for us and rescue us from Assyria when they come? And so in Isaiah 20, 28, what, what happens is God shows up and he says, hey, look, you made a covenant with death, death being Egypt. He says that you've actually made a lie your refuge and a falsehood your hiding place. So he's like, you know what? You're building your house on something that's going to crumble. But into this moment, God speaks this word of hope. He says, I'm not going to abandon my people. And he says these words. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. So what God is promising is that a day is coming when he is gonna lay a precious cornerstone that's gonna be a steadfast foundation for his people that would not shake or would not crumble like the faulty foundation of the Egyptians. And the Jewish community believed, they actually believed that this stone had already been laid by God and that it was residing in the most holy of holy places in all of Judaism in the temple. So there's this stone that was raised a little above the ground and they believed this was the foundation stone. This was the cornerstone that Isaiah was talking about. That was what the Jewish mind would think about. But Jesus is reinterpreting this entire story and what he is saying is, I am the precious cornerstone. I am the foundation God promised to lay. And so Jesus is relocating all of the promises of God in himself, and in doing so, he is replacing the temple's foundation stone with himself. And that in the new age of the kingdom, in this new reality that we live in because Jesus has come and lived, died, and rose again, that in this age of the kingdom, Jesus and his teaching are the new and the strong foundation to build your life on. The temple stone and the religious system of the day is nothing more than sand compared to Jesus. Jesus is the foundation of the new thing God is doing in the world. And so the foundation that you and I need is one that has already been laid by God. Paul, he was an early, early follower of Jesus, wrote a lot of the New Testament in a letter to the church in Corinth. He says this, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid which is Jesus Christ. God has already laid the foundation of stone for his people. It was laid in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. There the power of God was unleashed and God placed a firm foundation for his people, a new community called the church and anyone who would say, I want what Jesus did to count for me, that this was the foundation that God said, I have laid and anyone who wants it can come and stand on this foundation and live an immovable, unshakable life in me. 
this is where this story leads us. It leads us to know the foundation and to build on the foundation. To know the foundation and to build on this foundation. Both are important. First, know. See, at the heart of a kingdom life is a relationship with its king. At the heart of this life, of all that we're doing here, is a relationship with King Jesus. See, I want you to notice something, that when Jesus invited people to follow him, it's very specific what their job description was. Listen to these words from another story about Jesus called Mark. It says this, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Notice first, Jesus wanted his disciples. Jesus wants you. He wants you to know him and he wants to live in relationship with you. His desire for you drives him to invite you into this thing called the kingdom. And secondly, notice, what was the first thing on their job description? It wasn't go preach. It wasn't go heal people. It wasn't cast out demons. Their first part of their job in following Jesus was so that they might be with him. That's relationship. The preaching, the teaching, everything else that they were to go do starts with a relationship with Jesus. Relationship comes first. Doing comes second. This is the the vision of Jesus for his followers that we enter into the life of the kingdom and the relationship with its king through faith. That's salvation. And then the rest of our lives, we live in a relationship with the king in his way. That's relationship-based life, following Jesus. We have to grasp this because if we don't, then what it becomes is do more, try harder, earn God's favor, prove you deserve what he did for you, try to keep your place in the kingdom. It becomes about religion instead of knowing the one who has done everything that needed to be done so that you could enter into the kingdom and have a life with its king. See, everything begins and ends with your relationship with Jesus. I've said this before and I'll say it again. Jesus is the greatest prize of all. When we get Salvation, the greatest prize of that is Jesus. We get him, Paul, an early follower of Jesus. Like I said, in another letter, he writes that his greatest desire in his life was, I want to know Jesus. Philippians 3.10, I want to know Jesus. Why? Because he says just a few verses earlier, I met Jesus and he has surpassing worth. Knowing him is greater than anything else, Paul says, greater than my religious resume, greater than my pedigree, greater than my lineage, greater than my standing in the community, greater than how much money I have or don't have. He's like, Jesus is greater. I want to know Jesus. Or what about King David of David and Goliath fame? And in Psalm 27, he says, this is the one thing I want from God. Like of all the things I could do as king, everything is at my disposal. This is the one thing that I ask from God. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on his beauty and seek him. To gaze on the beauty of God and seek him was the desire of David's life because he knew that Jesus was the prize. And as your pastor, can I tell you my deepest longing and my greatest prayer for you is that you would desire Jesus more than you would desire anything else. Because Jesus is worth more than anything. 
Like, I literally want that for you so bad. There is nobody like Jesus, and there's no foundation like the one that God has laid. Everything that you are leaning your life on does not compare to him. And I want you to see that and know that and experience that. And I want you to have a strong foundation for your life, which begins with knowing Jesus. That's your way into the kingdom, and that's the way of the kingdom from there on out. And then, then, that's when the building begins. That's when the building begins. Look at verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. That word built doesn't mean that they go on the rock and the house is immediately finished. No, it means that, in the Greek it means to build. You start with the right foundation and then you spend the rest of your life building on the foundation that's been laid by God. Faith gets you on the foundation and then for the rest of your life, you partner with God to build a Christ-like life upon the foundation so that you could become a resilient disciple of Jesus. And Jesus says the way that we do that is by listening to him and doing what he says. It's hearing what Jesus says and then putting that into practice in our everyday lives. And hear me, this is not a suggestion Jesus is making. He's saying that if you want to be someone with a resilient and storm-proof life that can withstand all the storms that will come your way, here's how you do it. You listen to me and you obey me. You listen to me and obey me. So when Jesus says, don't let your anger simmer, and don't let it out on people, but go and be reconciled to them and make it right. Don't wait, you don't wait for them to come and make it right with you, but you go first. He actually means it. It means when Jesus says, don't look at a woman or a man lustfully, because when you do that, you've committed adultery in your heart, and that it's so serious that you need to be really, really strong and cut anything out of your life that would lead you to be tempted to do that, he actually means it. So when you look at pornography, he means it. It's looking lustfully at a woman or a man and you are objectifying them and you are committing adultery in your heart. When he says, don't retaliate when someone harms you or love your enemies, or he says, give your money to the poor and fast and pray a certain way or leave judgment to God, it's not a suggestion or if you like, feel like it if, and you want to build a resilient life, it's like, no, you must do these things. It's him telling you that to have a storm-proof life means you bring together listening and obedience, and that is your anchor for your life. Like, I'm gonna be honest with you, I am not a handy person around the house. I'm not. I wish I was. When God was handing out all the, the skill sets, like, he obviously missed me because I just have so many holes in my wall to prove it. And I try, like, I really do. Like, I watch YouTube videos to try and learn from people. Like, they have these channels. I have Lyndon come over and help me hang stuff because I know it's going to fall because I have evidence of that. When we were first married, I uh, tried to put up this coat rack, and I was proud of myself. I thought I did a really good job. Like, I found the studs, and I measured, and I did it two or three times just to make sure, and then I drilled the holes, and I put it there, and I hung the coats, and it stayed. And then later that night, I was watching TV, and crash, it fell down. And I realized that I'd missed the studs. And I realized 
after my heart stopped beating, that having an anchor matters a lot. And then if you miss the studs and you don't have an anchor, it's essentially going to fall because you're basically just drilling in this, into the drywall. And what I want you to see is that you need your life to be anchored into something deeper than drywall, something stronger than drywall. And Jesus is offering you that anchor today, and it will become real in your life when you pay attention to what Jesus teaches, when you seek to understand it, when you let it get into you, and with God's help, you try to put it into practice. Sure, we're not going to do this all the time correctly. We're not going to get it right all the time. Sometimes we're not going to even say, I don't want to do this. I'm going to disobey. I'm not going to do it this way, God. But over time, as we stumble our way forward, with God's help, what happens is you start to get the anchor that you always needed in a culture that is turbulent and shifting all the time. When everything around us is being shaken, you and I need an anchor. And Jesus is saying that resilience is rooted in the right foundation and your obedience. He is your anchor. And as a church, I'm calling us to this. I'm calling you to this because I want to see you become a resilient disciple. I want to see you love Jesus and stand when storms come. And so one of the things we need to do as a church is begin seeing obedience as actually the pathway to the life that Jesus wants to give us instead of an obstacle in the way of the life we want. Obedience is not a burden, it's a blessing. And how do I know? It's because Jesus later in Matthew tells us so. Obedience is not a burden, it's actually the way of Jesus. Matthew 11, listen to these words. Jesus says, come to me, relationship. Come to me. Bring, bring your life. Just come close to me in prayer, in reading the Bible. Just come to me. It's relationship language. If you've got weary, if you're weary, if life has burnt you out, if you're burdened, if you're struggling, bring whatever it is that you're carrying today to me. And what does Jesus say he will do? He says, I will give you rest. He will give you himself, his rest. And he says, take my yoke upon you, which is living in my way. And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Obedience is not burdensome. It's actually the pathway into the life and the rest that you want. Jesus is offering to put himself in the yoke beside us and to pull in the direction that he wants us to go. He's willing to go shoulder to shoulder with you and help you to teach you what it looks like to listen to him and to put it into practice. His way is not burdensome, but beautiful. He's gentle and humble in heart. He's gonna teach you how to live this way. And that's what it looks like to be a kingdom person. And so if you listen to the voice of Jesus and obey him, you will be building on the right foundation and you will be building a storm-proof life. And so when everything else around you is being shaken, can I just exhort you, put your life in the hands of the king. Listen to him. Do what he says because that's how you build a storm-proof life that will stand up under the turbulent times we live in. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for the offer to come to experience you and the rest that is found in you and you alone. I pray in this room right now that everyone who is weary and burdened, who is feeling overwhelmed, who is stretched thin, who is experiencing a storm, uh, would, would be willing to bring that to you.
and to lay it down and say, Jesus, I want you and I want your rest. I pray for those who maybe feel the conviction of of the spirit in this moment, recognizing that there are faulty foundations in their life. I pray that you would gently come and whisper, come home to me, turn to me, and let us start building together again. Help us to know what it looks like to be people who pay attention to you, listen, and put your way into practice. Fill us, Holy Spirit, again to do this. And would you shape us as individuals and this community to become a kingdom kind of community filled with resilient disciples who are shaken yet stand even when the storm comes. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So we want to invite up the prayer teams. And I would just encourage you as you sit there and as we respond in song to, to think about, like, God, what foundations am I, am I really building on? Am I building on sand or on stone? And as I prayed, like, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, you've been trusting in something or someone else to be the firm foundation, like, today is the day to do the act of coming forward and asking God to be your foundation. And if you felt the conviction of the Spirit and you're like, man, I've been building on this faulty foundation, you can come forward and ask for prayer and say, hey, I just, man, I just want to lay this down. I want to stand on the right foundation again and the help from God to actually build the kind of life that's going to stand. And if you had a praise report, come and pray for that too. This is a time to respond. So why don't you stand and join us as we respond.